Look, marketing your business is hard, and that's why I made this podcast, to help you and your business get unstuck and gain predictable growth. I'm Drew Bedard, and this is the Marketing That Works podcast. For a show list and my favorite tools and resources, visit marketingthatworkspodcast.com. Now, let's get into the show. Hey, everybody. Uh, special edition of the podcast this week, taking a break from the marketing strategy um, that we've been running through. This is a talk that I gave um, for a leadership group last week. Um, so this would have been in September 2018. And this is the first part of it and uh, kind of ends with a Steve Jobs speech that I really like. But I hope you guys enjoy it. It's a longer form than the normal podcast. But I hope you have fun with it, and uh, it's the presentation is called "Leaders All, Leaders Are," and if you're looking for it, it's on SlideShare as well. So uh, take a listen. Hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you on the next version of the podcast. In the meantime, thanks again for listening, and talk to you soon. Besides that, I'm gonna kick it off to Mr. Drew. Okay. Drew's from Bristol Speedway. He's gonna talk to us about a little bit of leadership stuff. So if you guys just give your attention to him. Thanks, Thank you, Drew. Appreciate it. Morning. You guys good? I usually, I, last couple of years I've been on the second day and everybody's like asleep. So this is going to be good. You guys are all energetic. You had to like walk up flights of stairs, the heart rate's going. So let me tell you the Sharpie story real quick before I get started with my presentation. Um, so I used to work for Sharpie directly. I worked for Newell Rubbermaid for a little while and... And then actually I went to a sports marketing agency in Charlotte and Sharpie, which is kind of my connection to Bristol, was Sharpie was my account. It used to be called the Sharpie 500, blah, blah, blah. So that's a little bit about my history. But when I was leaving Newell Rubbermaid, they came out with this My Sharpie program where you could like put your name or a logo or whatever you wanted. So I asked my boss at the time, I just said, hey, is it possible for me to get just a few of those, you know, would it be possible with my, my signature on it, just to give to like my wife and my parents or something like that? Yeah, no problem. Put your autograph, put your signature on a white sheet of paper, send it to me, email it to me, and I'll take care of it. So a couple months go by, don't hear anything, kind of think he forgot about it, no big deal. And then a box of a thousand Sharpies showed up. And I don't know if you guys have ever seen a box of a thousand Sharpies. It's a lot of Sharpies. And I literally don't know what to do with them. Um, so I have all of these Sharpies. And if you look on the pen, it says the official autograph pen of Drew Bedard. I've never given an autograph yet. I think the only thing I sign is forms for my kids at school. But um, So I have all these Sharpies and I just want to give them away because I don't think I'm going to be doing any autographs soon. So I hope you enjoy your new black Sharpie that will forever, I guess you'll remember me from now on but and Catherine knows she got one last year so um, so you didn't get a sharpie okay boom there we go yeah it doesn't no oh then it doesn't okay well, let's get that taken care of first okay yeah yeah there you go should have been the right ones I guess I mixed in some other ones. So you guys are on a leadership retreat. You're going to be a leadership group. I thought we'd talk about leadership this morning, right? Um, and what leaders are and what they aren't. Um, and I'm basically, I'm going to go through a few, what, what I feel like and studying and research. And I, it's probably very similar characteristics 
that you guys would feel what leadership is um, and what leaders are to their organizations, what they are to their countries and their regions, their communities. And so when you first, let me ask a question just to get everybody engaged here. What do you, some names you think of right off the top of your head when you think about a leader? Some names in history. Now, past. Lincoln. Al Capone. Al Capone, yes. Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, okay, good. Anybody else? Okay, I've got a couple slides of leaders, so Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela, Lincoln, John F. Kennedy, how about female leaders? Michelle Obama, okay, J.K. Rowling, and who's this lady? Who knows who that is? Maya Angelou, okay, the one and only. So, um, leaders, leaders are strong, they're outspoken, but we're gonna go through um, some leadership traits that we've seen throughout history of what leaders are. And I hope, again, to kick you guys off in a way that says, I've set a foundation, I have a basis for what leaders are to their organizations. Because I think for the rest of your time here, you're going to be going through, you're going to be talking about your personal histories, but hopefully what you're doing is you're coming out of here a stronger leader and a stronger leader for your community, for your organization. Okay? So leaders are, let's, we're going to go right into this. So first and foremost, leaders are committed to purpose. And when I talk about purpose, I'm talking, let's talk about organizational purpose. There's probably a mission, vision, values for each one of you guys at your organizations. And part of that is a purpose statement. What, what are, the big question is, and right here we have a definition, the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. The big question is, what are we about? So for you guys as leaders, it's extremely important to not only be a part of finding out what the purpose is in your organization, but then living it out every single day. I think you know, we face this all the time, and our, um, our mission at Bristol Motor Speedway and Dragway is to exceed expectations in everything that we do. So let me give you a tangible example um, about being committed to purpose. Somebody asked me the other day, um, it was a friend who's at an agency, and he said, um, what do you think about putting ads in the middle of your Facebook videos or something like that, and that's just a random example. But my, my immediate thought and filter is, is this on purpose? Is, does this help us to exceed expectations for our customers? And so I wrote back to him and I'm like, I'm not sure that that is what our purpose is and what, if that matches our mission for our company. So first and foremost, you've gotta ask yourself this question, what are we about? And be committed to that purpose. Because above all else, if you are not committed to that, you're wandering, you're drifting. And, and that can be bad for not only your organization, it can be bad for your family. You have to know where are you guys going? Where do you want to be? Five, ten years, or is it three months from now? And that may be fiscal goals, but I think more than, more than that, these are philosophical goals. What are we about and what do we want to be about every single day? Second one, and guys, I've got, like, there's like an hour on the schedule. I'll be about 30 minutes because I love being short because I like Q&As. I want to talk and engage with you guys, and also it gives you a longer break. And I'm, whenever I'm at a retreat, I love longer breaks. So, all right, leaders are enthusiastic. So this scene from Remember the Titans, but we, if you've, who's seen Remember the Titans? Okay, so most people. You know that Herman Boone and you know the characters that they play, that they're pretty tough on the kids. 
but they, you'll remember that final scene where they score the touchdown is that you can see, um, you can see Herman Boone, the coach, Denzel Washington's character, running down the sideline with enthusiasm for his kids. And if, I, I face this all the time when I'm sitting in rooms and, you know, when we're sitting in conference rooms is that if I, the leader, am not enthusiastic, either in one direction or another, if I'm passionate about, I feel like we need change, or if I'm not passionate about the direction that we're already going in, then what am I there for? You know, I'm, I come in every single day with passion and enthusiasm to say, and also in the leadership of people. Um, with my guys that are on my team, I want them to know that I'm excited about what we're doing because let's say I go into a meeting and I say, hey, we got this new initiative we're doing and, um, you know, it should be pretty good. It should be, I mean, who cares, right? That's, that's not going to help and that's not going to inspire my team. I need to be excited about what we're doing. And if I'm not excited, they can't get excited. And we always talk at Bristol because we're promoters of events is that if we don't make a big deal about it, nobody's going to make a big deal about it. So you guys probably saw that with the football game in 2016 that it was probably to the point of nauseam that we were talking and excited about the football game. But if we didn't get excited about it, who would? And I think leaders have to do that on a micro level as well is to say, how can I walk into a room today and exude that enthusiasm and excitement for the ideas that we're pushing forward? All right, leaders are learners. So one of my favorite quotes from President Truman was, not all readers are leaders, but all leaders are readers. Um, I don't know if that's, now that is definitely a personal choice. You guys, I know um, not everybody loves to read. Not everybody loves to like sit at night and that's their activity. But I have found, so let's take my own personal history. I was a terrible student. Um, I was a college kid who didn't do that well and I didn't read. But then as I started to, to love and kind of grow into my craft as a marketer, I can't get enough of information at this point. And now I know that if I'm gonna stay ahead of the curve or if I'm gonna get my team excited about an idea, I have to be constantly learning. So this talks about reading in particular, and I'm passionate about reading books at this point, and I wasn't that much when I was in high school and college. But I love it, I can't get enough of it now. But it's not just that. I think it's also, um, I mean, we, we've all got different methods of learning. It could be um, YouTube, it could be a million different things, but I know, you know, there's a, there's a guy that's on my team um, who's constantly watching YouTube tutorials because he's a creative designer. And it's just, he's always sitting in his office and I don't look at that, I don't walk by and scoff at it when he's on Facebook or YouTube because, because I actually can see that he's trying to get better, that he's trying to grow. And I think as leaders, not just from leadership training and trying to read how to be a better leader, I think it's also about what's your craft. What are you working on? What are you working in? Whether it's a trade or whether it's for us, you know, for me as a marketer, I've constantly got to be learning what's the new tactic, what's the new trend, so I can stay ahead of it. So I truly believe that leaders are learners. And so what's a, let's like ask a, the group, what's a favorite business book of yours? Because I, I know you guys will probably get some takeaways from this after the weekend, but does anybody have a favorite business book they want to throw out? I know this is like your first session and you guys really haven't like met each other yet. So it's like, start with why by Simon Sinek. That's a great one. That's a great one. What's that? I'm sorry. Yes. That's a great one. 
got that one on my to read list. It's sitting right there. It stares at me. Anybody else? I'll give you a couple suggestions because I didn't put like a resource section at the end of this, but a couple uh, books that I always recommend is The One Thing by um, Gary Keller, which is Keller Williams Realty, wrote an amazing book about, um, and that's not just about marketing, that's business operation and leadership, about focusing on one thing at a time, so it's really a, a book about focus. And a complimentary book to that is a book called Essentialism by Greg McCown, which those are my probably two most gifted books. Actually, I gave Catherine, Catherine's husband works in my department and on my team at work, and I gave them all the one thing for Christmas last year because it's made such an impact on my life. So, um, But got to be constantly learning, got to be constantly looking at what's ahead. And it doesn't have to be books, it could be anything, but I think leaders are the ones who have to be on the cutting edge of what's going on in their organization, in their department, in their community. And, I, and again, I'm trying to reference not just organizational leadership. It could be community, you guys could be a mayor, I don't know, that you've got to constantly be looking at what's, what's ahead. So leaders are listeners. I like this John Maxwell quote, inexperienced leaders are quick to lead before knowing anything about the people they intend to lead. But mature leaders listen, learn, and then lead. Um, I, I, had, I was very fortunate. I got to go to the PALS Business Excellence Institute last week. Um, I actually, there was an open slot and I got to go do it and it was an amazing two days. I hope you guys have an amazing two days here. Um, but I sat next to, so there was a guy auditing the PALS BEI and he was sitting next to me and he was very quiet for about half the day and I raised my hand and said something about, about whether leaders or whether leaders of people should be in the work and or work, you know, on the work, in the work, you know, and I'm, I'm a little bit more of, I like to stay attached to the work because I don't think I can be the most effective leader I can be without being attached to the work. But we were talking about, so that's a sidebar discussion, we were talking about, he turned to me and he said, I was at Eastman for 38 years, and so he'd been quiet this whole time, but he wanted to reference what I was talking about. And he said, at one point, I got assigned and promoted to lead a team of 150 people. So terribly overwhelming, like, how do you lead 150 people well? Well, he had learned over time that the most effective first step that he could take was to meet with every single one of those people, which sounds like an incredibly daunting task. But he found that by doing that, so he sat down with every person, all 150 people, he spent an hour with each one of them, so it took him a while. And then what he did was he kind of got a town hall meeting together. And he said, let me, let me see if I heard you right. So what he basically said is he repeated everything back to them and said, I heard that you may be, um, the morale may be a little bit down, that you may maybe feel undervalued, whatever. You know, so went through some of those, you know, kind of normal cases in business. And what he got back was a more inspired and more excited workforce because he basically validated to them, I was listening to you. I didn't just come in here and start dictatorially, you know, sort of, you go do this and you go do this and we got to make our number and go, you know, because obviously Eastman's about, you know, very tactical about the number and they're a huge business. He spent the first few weeks of his job just listening to people. 
because he understood that to be an effective leader, he had to understand what they need first. So I would, I would do that and, you know, talking about um, Catherine's husband, Chris, like we just spent time yesterday morning in what I call the, I call the pie chart sessions, which is we kind of sit and discuss, um, and I, I'm a talker, obviously, you guys can tell that, but um, I try to sit in those sessions and listen. How are they feeling? How, what's their job like? And is it the right fit? Are each one of these roles and responsibilities the right thing? Because at the end of the day, or at the end of that meeting, what I said to Chris was, is that what I want more than anything else is for you to feel like when you come in and do your eight hours during the day, that your, your day is filled with quality work, that you are inspired, that you want to come in and you just want to run through a wall, you're excited about it. So, but I can't show, I can't just go to him and say, well, do this. Just here's a checklist and go do this and not listen first. So I've done these sessions and I think they've been really effective for getting that conversation going, getting a dialogue going so that when we come out of it, he has a clear understanding of what my expectations are and I understand what he wants to do, what his expectations are. And and we all know this with jobs is that it's not 100% exactly what you want to do all the time, right? But it can be a discussion with your leader and you guys as leaders and if you have a team that's working behind you you've got to have that open dialogue because again they're not going to have a hundred percent of what you want to do but for the most part could you get them in a place where they will succeed okay and those discussions really open up that next one leaders are decisive um, you guys probably all deal with this issue at work, and it, it's a tough one, um, which is, is my leader helping me to move things forward by making decisions? And that's a very tough thing, so when we look at it and we have leaders above us or as leaders, so I'm talking to you guys as the leaders, whether you're at the C-level or whether you're at the managerial level, um, or again, if you're leading a community, it is important and sometimes you'll fail and sometimes you're going to make mistakes. But, and I love this quote by Seth Godin, you don't need more time in your day, you just need to decide. And when in context, what Seth is usually talking about there is that, you know, we, I always call it like circling the airport, is that we have a lot of those meetings where we just go like this, right? And we're just like, let's talk about it. And you know what, let's, let's not only talk about it, let's set a meeting next week to talk about it again. And that's not always the, sometimes you, you have enough time in the day. Let's just make a decision. And also, you know, so there's a lot of factors there. You got to go off gut. You got to go off data. But I think it's really important as leaders is that we show our people that we're willing to make a decision. And it might be wrong. I had a program a couple years ago that we did in our marketing department that I said, look, it was a referral program and... Um, I made a decision and it was a lot of money and I just said but we've got to make a decision we've got to try something we've got to either fail fast or it's going to be a giant success and it failed and I was the first one to raise my hand and say that was my idea and it failed and I was wrong but we made a decision and we moved on and we understood we won't do that again but I think for you guys going back to your organizations what can you help your people with today so here's an important question maybe at the end of your next meeting with a group, with your team members, is what can I help you with today or what decision do you need made today that will help move you forward? 
So maybe take that back with you guys and say, in my next meeting, I'm going to ask that to my people. That is a very vulnerable place for a leader to be, to open the door and say, what can I do for you? What, how, what can I help you with today? What decision do you need made to move forward? That's a very vulnerable place to be. It's a, it's a tough place. Sometimes people get skittish about it because you're just like, you don't know if the floodgates aren't going to open. And sometimes I always equate it to, like with my team, it's like a diesel engine. It's like it takes five minutes for them of kind of hem-hawing around and being like, nah, we're good, we're good, we're good. And then it's like, whoosh, it comes, you know, that engine gets going. And they're like, you know what? I actually do need your help with something. I need this decision made. I need you to go talk to this person about some program that's, you know, some piece of creative that we have not checked, off, checked the box on. So leaders need to decide. And sometimes you fail. But I think if you do it collectively, you do it with your gut, you do it with data, most of the time you're going to succeed. But you have enough time in the day, just make a decision. All right? Are we good? Everybody good? Okay. Okay. Keep the energy up. I know it's dark in here. It's hot. Yeah. I'll try to keep yelling at you. All right. Leaders are caregivers. Um, love this quote by Simon Sinek. The leader who gets the most out of their people, people are the leaders who care most about their people. And um, the a dynamic that's entered into the workforce over the last 10 years that we all know about is this famous piece about millennials, right? Like millennials are in the workforce now and sometimes that word, it's just like it's getting the wrong connotation because I think it doesn't matter what age you are, it just matters, you know, are you inspired, are you excited, are you, you know, all the things that we've talked about. But truly seen, I've seen a huge difference in maybe the morale or attitude of my team when they know, because that's one of the tougher things, and I'll be perfectly honest with you guys, it's one of the tougher things for me as a leader is to show this sort of caring, lovey-dovey side, right? And be warm all the time. But I do, I do, try, to, I do try to meet with them, like I was talking about the pie chart sessions, and say, I'm listening and I care, but it's also I care about you personally. I want you to thrive and succeed in life. And that's not always, again, that's not always the easiest thing to do, but it's the right thing to do because, again, if you want a workforce, and I know you guys probably feel this way about a leader who may be above you, is that if they just cared or if I just thought that they cared, Boy, that would go a long way with me. And actually, I've seen more than anything else, not tactics, not you know checklists and spreadsheets and anything else of like, hey guys, I've got a plan, let's go do this thing. I think when I care about them, I get better results out of the entire team. And I get, I perform better when my leaders say, look man, you know, good job with doing your job and the tactics, but just know that I care about you, and if you, need to, if you need to just talk and you need anything, I'm here for you. So leaders are caregivers. Leaders are gatherers. I'm a big one on this one. Um, this is, gosh, what was it called? I'm sorry. I forgot what it was called. This, um, oh, like League of Elders, I think it was called, or something like that. Group of Elders. And it was formed by Nelson Mandela and there's Richard Branson and Desmond Tutu and President Carter and some others that um, they realized, and this was what, uh, about 20 years ago, that, um, you know, just looking at 
the global landscape and these leaders got together and Peter Gabriel I think was another catalyst in this whole thing but just looking at the global landscape and seeing the problems in the world so they got together to discuss some of these things and I think so this is a huge big group of powerful people smart people and but we have that same group exists in your organization today of this group of people who are smart and talented and powerful and they can make things happen so the the gathering example that i so we're about four or five months out from the football game in 2016 and um, we had, so there was, as part of our stadium show, if you guys remember, we had this big elaborate stadium show, if you remember the football game at all, um, at the beginning. So, you know, big patriotism and national anthem and things, you know, fireworks and all this crazy stuff. But about four or five months out from the game, there were two distinct groups that were going down different paths. And it was the kind of entertainment group. And then it was my team, which was the Colossus TV, which is our big jumbotron. It was our group. And nobody was talking. And so we're trying to plan over here of like what needs to go on the screen, but we're not talking to the right hand that knows what's going to be going on down on the field. And so at one point, um, my boss came to me and just said, look, man, sorry to do this to you, even though because there were people involved and there were good people involved. But he said, I'm sorry to do this to you, but you got to get everybody together. And I was like, man, I'm on it. So I love that. I love gathering people together. And we got everybody together in a room. And within, within one meeting, we were in a much better place because it was like, hey, have you seen this run of show? Oh, no, I've never seen that before. Hey, have you seen our screen run of show or what we're going to put on the screen? No, I haven't seen that before. That simple exchange of spreadsheets and ideas started us on a better path. And that's why we had a more coordinated pregame because that first thing, and then it became, it was like we knew within the first hour, it was like we got to get together every week from here on in. So four or five months out, we got to get together every week. And we had really positive momentum as we built towards the game. So all of that that happened at pregame, all of that that happened at halftime, that was because we just got a better plan together. And it was because we just gathered people and communicated. So I would encourage you today, don't be shy about gathering people. Like, I know people hate meetings. I get it. I know, you know, in some circles, meetings are toxic. I think meetings can be very powerful if they're for the right reasons and they have objectives. But gathering people at the right time and getting them to communicate can be so much more effective than you guys just sitting and stewing in your offices about well, I wish they would do that. I wish they would do that. I don't know what they're doing. Nobody's told me anything. I love that quote. Nobody's told me anything. Okay, well, get up and walk down the hall and talk to them about it. Or let's gather some people together and talk about it. Let's move this thing forward in a positive manner. So I'd encourage you today, gather people. Do it effectively. You don't need to do it just for vanity's sake. But if you do it effectively, you'll be in a better position. Leaders are servants. There's no better example, of course, than than Jesus Christ and washing the feet of his disciples. But servant leadership is something we should all strive for, which is, you know, very similar themes that you're seeing in this presentation. But I didn't want to get out of this presentation without, you know, I mean, you can't mention a leadership. If you're going to give a leadership talk and Jesus isn't mentioned, then you're probably not doing it right because I, I would consider him the greatest leader of all time. But 
this this story and this parable and this you know what happened with the washing of the feet was obviously an example that Jesus used to say no no person is too big no person is too powerful to wash the feet of their disciples and the ones that they lead so be servant leaders every day walk in every day and ask and I know it goes back a couple of slides but what can I do how can I help you today because you're going to get more out of your teams if you care for them and if you serve them well. So I'll keep that one short. Leaders are vision casters. So I am going to play a video for you guys now. So break up me speaking for a few minutes. Um, and actually, this is I'm getting towards the end of the presentation. So after this, we'll have a couple more slides and then we'll open up a Q&A. So I'd encourage you, like, I know I'm I'm nobody, but I love it if we have a Q&A and, and just talk because I actually think if you guys ask me a question, it's probably going to open up um, a good dialogue between the group. So just be thinking of any questions you want to talk about as far as leadership. You can ask me about Bristol, too, if you want to just ask about what's going on with NASCAR and football and anything else and why did Nick Saban wear a polo with Bristol Motor Speedway. I don't know. Nobody knows. Um, it's nice. I guess he likes Bristol. But um, I'm going to play you guys. There is a speech by Steve Jobs. Now, I geek out on it because I'm a marketer, and this is the what I feel like is the greatest marketing speech of all time. But if you look inside of this speech, there he. This is at a time when Steve Jobs came back to Apple. So as we all know, the famous story about Steve Jobs was fired from Apple um, when John Scully was CEO, and then Apple started to take this dive. And, and Steve went off and started Next Computer, but he also co-founded Pixar. Okay, so does everybody, did everybody know that, that he was co-founded? So he co-founded Pixar with John Lasseter and some others. So he went from, and, and I, I use this example in another talk that I've done of these two ads side by side. A New York Times ad by Apple before Steve Jobs was fired and after he came back. One was technical specs and long paragraphs and all these things of, that you would never read. And it's in a, it's in a um, speech I give about storytelling. But he came back and there was one thing and there was an Apple logo and it says, does anybody know what it said? At, at that point in time, what Apple's tagline was when he came back? Think different, right? That was, that was it. So it was a New York Times ad, a full-page ad with an apple, and it said, think different. And this, is, this speech is where he explains and gives the vision to his people in the room, which is a lot of programmers and a lot of others, about where I'm back and here's where we're going. So I think you guys will enjoy this. To me, marketing is about values. This is a very complicated world. It's a very noisy world. And we're not going to get a chance to get people to remember much about us. No company is. And so we have to be really clear on what we want them to know about us. Now, Apple, fortunately, is one of the half a dozen best brands in the whole world, right up there with Nike, Disney, Coke, Sony. It is one of the greats of the greats, not just in this country, but all around the globe. And, but, but, but even a great brand needs investment and caring if it's going to retain its relevance and vitality. And the Apple brand has clearly suffered from neglect 
in this area in the last few years. And we need to bring it back. The way to do that is not to talk about speeds and feeds. It's not to talk about nits and megahertz. It's not to talk about why we're better than Windows. The dairy industry tried for 20 years to convince you that milk was good for you. It's a lie, but they tried anyway. And <laughs> the sales were going like this. And then they tried Got Milk, and the sales are going like this. Got Milk doesn't even talk about the product. Matter of fact, it focuses on the absence of the product. <laughs> but, but, but the best example of all, and, and one of the greatest jobs of, of marketing in the, that the universe has ever seen is Nike. Remember, Nike sells a commodity. They sell shoes. And yet, when you think of Nike, you feel something different than a shoe company. And their ads, as you know, they don't ever talk about the products. They don't ever tell you about their air soles and why they're better than Reebok's air soles. What does Nike do in their advertising? They, they honor great athletes and they honor great athletics. That's who they are. That's what they are about. Apple spends a fortune on advertising. You'd never know it. <laughs> You'd never know it. So, when I got here, we, Apple just fired their agency. We were doing a competition with 23 agencies that, you know, four years from now would have picked one. And we blew that up, and we, <clears throat> we hired Shaite, the ad agency that I was fortunate enough to work with years ago. We created some award-winning work, including the, the commercial vote of the best ad ever made in 1984 by advertising professionals. And um, we started working about eight weeks ago. And what we, the question we asked was, our customers want to know who is Apple and what is it that we stand for? Where do we fit in this world? And what we're about isn't making boxes for people to get their jobs done, although we do that well. We do that better than almost anybody in some cases. But Apple's about something more than that. Apple, at the core, its core value is that we believe that people with passion can change the world for the better. That's what we believe. And we've had the opportunity to work with people like that. We've had an opportunity to work with people like you, with software developers, with customers who have done it in some big and some small ways. And we believe that in this world. People can change it for the better. And that those people that are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones that actually do. And so what we're going to do in our first brand marketing campaign in several years is to, is to get back to that core value. A lot of things have changed. The market's a totally different place than it was a decade ago. And Apple's totally different, and Apple's place in it is totally different. And believe me, the products and the distribution strategy and the manufacturing are totally different, and we understand that. But values and core values, those things shouldn't change. The things that Apple believed in at its core are the same things that Apple really stands for today. And so we wanted to find a way to communicate this. And what we have is something that 
I am um, I'm very moved by. It honors those people who have changed the world. Some of them are living, some of them are not. But the ones that aren't, as you'll see, you know that if they'd ever used a computer, it would have been a Mac. <laughs> and <clears throat> the theme of the campaign is, is think different. It's the people honoring the people who think different and who move this world forward. And it's, it is what we are about. It touches the soul of this company. Hey guys, before you go, one more thing. People are asking me all the time for book recommendations, and I wanted to give my favorite book from the last couple of years, and it is Expert Secrets by Russell Brunson. Bar none, it is my favorite marketing book that I've read. I've actually reread it three times over the last two years. It's my favorite marketing book. It kind of masks itself under the guise of an expert book where you're sort of learning to build a platform, but literally the best marketing advice that I've gotten, not only from Russell's podcast, but really from his books and Expert Secrets is that book that I recommend and actually I gift to most people. So I've set up a page on my website so you can go right to it because actually Russell offers it for free, which is really cool. It's free plus shipping, which ends up being like eight bucks, which is cheaper than any book that you could get on Amazon. And this is the best marketing book that I've read in a while. So you go to marketingthatworkspodcast.com slash secrets. So I've set up that page for you. It's actually got a link to his other book called Dot Com Secrets. Both books are amazing, but I would really recommend you check out Expert Secrets. And again, it's free. So go to marketingthatworkspodcast.com slash secrets and check that out today. Have a great day.